So good evening ladies and gentlemen, um, it's a pleasure to bring another episode of the Value Nigeria podcast to everybody listening. How has our week been? Um, to my Muslim brothers and sisters out there, I would like to say Ramadan Karim. It's, we are in the holy month of Ramadan and I know um, we are all engaged with the fast and with all that comes along with that. So um, let's keep up the good job. Well done, well done. Um, one more time, uh, it's earnings season in the Nigerian market. We are in the last week thereabouts of the month of March and we are expecting a lot of results. So a lot of things, the markets, a lot of market activity is ongoing and I hope we are doing quite well in our investing practice. In this week's episode of the podcast, we also have a guest, which um, is our tradition now. Um, we have a guest on the show tonight and I, boy, do I have a, do I promise a lovely time for you. Um, my guest has been on our radar for a very long time and we've just struggled to get a convenient time on both our schedules to have this conversation, but I'm so glad that we've been able to have this tonight. Um just for the record purposes, today is the is it the twenty fourth? Let me confirm. Twenty fifth. Yes. So today is the twenty fifth day of the month of March, and um, my guest today is the team lead of the investment research and advisory unit at WSTC Financial Services Limited. He's been at that firm for a good number of years, and he has risen through the ranks. Uh, my guest today had his bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Ilori. Uh, he's also well uh, um, along his CFA journey, and we'll probably ask him a few things about that along the line. Um, my guest is someone who is a very popular speaker, um, a very popular personality in finance. I've attended a few conferences or a few seminars where he was one of the guest speaker and believe me, he is loaded and it's going to be a very exciting time today. Um, the I'll just let the cat out of the bag and let him do all the introductions himself. My guest tonight is Mr. Abdul Rauf Bello. It's a pleasure to have a chat with you today. Good evening, sir. Yeah, good evening, Doc. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. And um, thanks a lot for bringing me here. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Sir. I, once again, as I said, it's a, it's a sacrifice. Um, I, I appreciate that sacrifice because as we speak, it's well after 10 p.m. Nigerian time. And you've taken the time even to have a chat with us. We really, really appreciate that. Uh, before we go ahead, we always like to take some time to get to know our guests a little bit better. So, sir, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit more, I know I know I've just given a peripheral um, view of your of your citation, but do you mind just telling us a little bit more about your educational background, your professional journey so far, and maybe a little bit about your personal uh, journey yourself? Okay, all right, that's fine, that's fine. Um, I'm a for Mubelo. I currently work as an investment research analyst. So basically, what I do is um. I advise my clients. I help them to make uh, investment decisions um, on their financial assets. Assets could be categorized in different forms. We have financial assets, we have real assets. So speaking to financial assets only. So educational background, well, not so much. I am an economics graduate of the University of Illinois. I was there between 2012 to 2016. And um, 
I am. Um, I finished. I finished. Um, um, 2016 studying economics. From there, I proceeded for my own YSC, and I started working with Douglas. This is in 2018. So I started as a relationship manager, and then from there to the investment research department. So been there for a little more than five years now. Um, outside that, I'm the, I'm the chief investment officer of a private fund called Iris Fund. So what we do is we make investment in foreign assets, we make investment in foreign equities, foreign fixed income assets. And the idea was that four people came together, talked that how could they protect their wealth from the consistent currency depreciation. You know, and we just agreed to start allocating a certain portion of our income every month to put money in foreign equities, especially that, you know, previously it was very difficult to do that. It was very difficult to make investment in Apple, um, Amazon and the like. But over time, especially with the influx of several tech startups that have democratized the process, we decided to explore that. So I do investment analysis there. I identify opportunities and, you know, we've done it's done really great. So personal background, well, I tell people that three things, I live for three things. Number one, God, number two, my family, and number three, finance. Uh, so I love finance a lot. Um, it's always been there right from growing up. Uh, from age five, I always found myself reading newspapers. I had that environment, so I had that opportunity, I had that environment. But I also developed that interest. I started reading papers, I started reading about the stock market in the newspaper. So that exposure to those things at a very young age helped me a lot. Of course, many of those things didn't make sense to me at that time. But as I grew older, I started to you know, do more of these things and it started to make sense. And it's, it's been fun. This and so I play video games. I love video games a lot. I'm a Chelsea fan. So I love energy strategy. So basically, that's, that's that about me. Well, thank thank you for giving us that insight into your into your background and your story. Um, I'm just going to pick up on a few things that you've said. Number one, you're a Chelsea fan, and uh, I just want to say it's unfortunate that you've drawn against um, Real Madrid in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Exactly, exactly fortunate. It's very unfortunate because I'm a, I'm a Real Madrid fan, so I look forward to. Oh, okay, okay. Now I now I see how unfortunate it is. <laughs> and, and the next thing I want to I want to pick on is you mentioned environments when you were young and growing up. It's like there was finance in the environment when you grew up, or something like that. Can you can you just paint a picture of the how we as parents today? can create an, an enabling environment where our children can learn about finance, even from a very young age? Okay. In my own case, in my own case, right, you know, as it's actually a function of um, environment and interest, too, right? But in my own case, um, my, my father had me very late in his life. Like, he didn't have me until he was in his, you know, uh, mid-40s. So we had that close bond, and he was an avid reader of the newspapers. Uh, so he would read papers almost every day. So he would sometimes ask me to go get those papers. So I would go to a newspaper stand, I read the papers, you know, this public opinion, the good ones and the bad ones, the ones that were based on five ones that were based on conspiracy theories. So I just had an interest, I, you know, I'd listen, I'll stay there for hours, I'll listen to those things. But where, where, the environment helped me was I just had resources. I had access to newspapers. I had access to magazines. I had access to all kinds of documents that you can think of. So even comics. 
super strikers and all. So, you know, we, we used to have a room at home. We called it warehouse, where all those papers were. So from there. And beyond the resource or beyond the access to resources, one of the things that also helped me was um, we just needed a little bit, anything we wanted to do, anything we wanted to buy, books and all. Our parents were always up to it. If you needed any document, just ask. They'll provide it for you. If you needed any clarity, you know, and back then in primary school, if I had issues with my academic studies, my parents were always there, especially my dad. He was always very willing to listen, to hear my point of view. It was a democratic setting. I could ask questions, right? So it would break them down. And from there, you know, if because I had someone that I could look up to, someone that could, you know, answer my questions, he, he encouraged me to always do more because I've always get clarity. So I, I just had unfiltered un- un- access to resources you know, at, at my level. Thank you very much, sir. You've shared a lot of nuggets and I believe parents or aspiring parents are listening and they can pick one or two things to learn in creating an enabling environment to empower their children with financial knowledge, even right from their very youthful age. Um, You've talked about your role presently as an investment research analyst at WSTC Asset Management and your role as Chief Investment Officer with um, Iris Funds. Uh, now, that, that, those roles immediately tells me that you are somebody that is very vast, even in the process of investment research. You understand the reason and the importance of doing your due diligence before committing your money into any investment vehicle or any investment um, method. Uh, why is it important for the retail investor listening to pay particular imp- imp- importance or particular attention to doing due diligence, to researching companies first before putting any funds or committing any money into them? So let me start by saying that the financial market is very, very important for prosperity to happen in any economy. Mm. So, and think about it this way. We all need jobs. If we all had jobs that we can earn, we'll all be fine. Right? One of the biggest problems we have across the globe is that people don't have jobs. If there are jobs, there's no need to do criminal activities. But for jobs to happen, you need entrepreneurs, you need people with ideas to make those, to, to, to make those decisions. Like you need to start a business, you need to do something. It is when you start this business that you employ someone to work. Now, how do you start a business? How do you transform an idea to something that works, something that you can say, something that becomes real, that you know, how do you execute, basically? You execute when you have access to funding. You have someone that will fund those ideas and that would bring those ideas to life. Now, how do you get funding? You only get funding when people invest, when people choose to drop their money, okay? And people invest when they save, isn't it? So, now, let me now take this back home. The moment people don't save, the moment people don't make the decision of investing, the moment people don't trust that they invest. And by the way, when people invest, they don't invest because they are Father Christmas or because they don't have anything to do with their money. Of course, they believe that deferring current consumption for the future would be more beneficial. And for them to do that, they need a minimum level of compensation, you know, to 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 to. to you know, to compensate them or to make up for that, sac- that consumption they are sacrificing. I mean, if not, 
is why not spend everything now? You know, spending is very interesting to do. Now, the moment the trust is missing, there's, there's going to be a lot of problems. Now, for retail investors, it is very important for retail investors to have that trust because the idea is that institutional investors or the deep pocket investors, if they lose money today, they can always shake it up yeah. and move on. It is not the case for retail investors. Mm. You so retail investors, they require a lot of protection. You need to, and we are still scratching the surface, especially in Nigeria, bringing them on board. Mm. Imagine all these people doing a job, all these people doing cooperatives, all these people putting money under their pillows. Imagine if they all divert, or if they all channel those funds to the financial market. It would be great. We have a lot of funds, a large pool to fund ideas. Now, why it's important, the moment you don't put money or the moment you don't do diligence in investing, you end up putting money in the hands of rogues or in the hands of people who dabble into things that are not genuine. And at the end of the day, when your hands get burned once or twice, you assume that the whole system is rigged. You're not encouraged. Imagine I lost my money in one investment, I lost my money in another investment, and you're telling me to invest the third time telling me that it's good to invest. I won't listen to you. Yes, so in that case, the problem is not that investing is bad. The problem is not that you made a mistake to invest. You only invested in the wrong idea. You invested in, and could you have known or not, the jury is out. Or maybe, just maybe, if you did some bit of due diligence, you'd probably understand that I'm listening to the shampoo. So if I'm promising you 30% every month, for instance, to do an investment, and you begin, and you try to ask a question, and okay, what are you investing in that will give you the money that you're able to give me 30 percent? Yes, and maybe if I had a clear sense of it, if I understood it better, if I understood the the smooth free launch, right? Then maybe I may be able to, you know, make better decisions. So it's quite important for the purpose of trust. This is a market of trust. If we there's no trust, there's a lot of problems. So that's important. Retail investors need to do a lot of due diligence. Ask questions. You know, if something is too good to be true, it is probably too good to be true. Thank, thank you very, very much. Thank you very much for that. Um, while you were speaking, my mind went back to um, the go-go years of 2007, 2008, when the market was on the upward you know, charge and every Tom, Dick and Harry was, you know, interested in putting money in the market. And we, we all know how that ended up. Many of those who got their fingers burnt back then have not gotten the boldness to come right back into the market. And that's where doing your due diligence, doing your due research, trusting the advice of your financial advisors come into play. Probably if they had done more of that, they wouldn't have gotten as burnt as they did. And uh, maybe the market will still be much more robust with much more players today um i'll just go right into the tick of things sir can you kindly walk us through because I, I, you, this is something you do on a daily basis um identifying yeah. companies looking at them this you know researching them i would really appreciate it if you could walk us through your process how, how, what are the things that go through your head what are the steps that you go through when you it, it, when a company first hits your radar how do you go about researching them from the point of discovery to the point of decision-making, whether to buy or not to buy? Okay. Um, so as, so there are two things involved, right? So for, and I'll try as much as possible to speak from my perspective and also speak from the perspective of a retail investor. So to be frank, this is an expertise market, right? It's an expertise market. So, and the reason why I said it's an expertise market is that 
Uh, and one of the things that makes investing a little bit interesting and tricky is that if you wanted to buy a car or you wanted to buy a house, for instance, these are assets that you can just go look at it, monitor, test, drive it, check it out. And from, from what you see, you can easily make the decision of whether buying or not buying. So if I see a G-Wagon and I see the body part, I see the interior, I see the mileage, I can easily make my decision to say, okay, I think I like this car. But it's not the case for financial assets, especially stocks or companies. Because sometimes a company can be solid and it may not be a good investment. And a company can be bad, it may be a good investment. So a G-Wagon for a game, I know a G-Wagon is a fantastic car. I know it is a car of prestige. I know that if I drive in it, people will acknowledge me as an important person in society, and I love that. Maybe. But I know that, I also know that the average price of a G-Wagon is maybe 50 million. So if you quote 200 million for me for a G-Wagon, I may not go with it. I know it is a good car, but it may not be a good investment at 200 million. In the same way with BlackBerry, for instance, we all know BlackBerry is no longer the big deal. You know, it no longer commands the prestige it used to in the 2010s. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you, nobody wants to use BlackBerry. I think iPhone is what people are using now. But if you offer the BlackBerry to me for 1,000 naira, I may consider it. Because I know I could sell it for 2,000 and I won't shut. So if I sold it for 2,000, that's a 100% return. So that's a good investment. But the product itself may not be good. So let's take it away. So now, for financial assets, you can't touch them. You can't see them. You can't steal them even. They are all electronic. You can't touch a stock, right? So how do you know whether this is good or bad? And that's where the research things come in. So there's that, that expertise. You need certain tools for you to be able to do that, which may be a little bit sophisticated for retail investors, but there's still a way retail investors can bypass that. And I think I could, I could make that explanation later. Now, this step by step, you need to know the company you want to invest in. In my case, we already have the resources. We already have the tools. You understand? It could even be as simple as sitting down, sitting down one day, thinking about it to say, okay, I see this product everywhere. So if I see this product everywhere, then maybe it may be a good company that is very, very profitable. Because the purpose of investing is I'm investing in something that will turn profitable such that I take part of that profit as my own and I make money. It's simple as just starting a business for the purpose of solving a problem, making profit in the process, and taking all of the returns, you know, to compensate you for the risk. And so you could see maybe a picnic. You see picnic almost everywhere. You see Milo everywhere. People buy Milo. So you know that this, com this product is nearly everywhere. You expect, there's an a priori expectation that I expect this company to do well. So the next step is, is it a public company? Because you cannot invest if it is not a public company. A public company is a company that is listed on an exchange. And the reason for being listed on an exchange is to make buying and selling easy. Just the way you go to a Balogu market, you ask for tomato and they give you tomato. Imagine if there was no market. You have someone selling tomato, but there's no market where you're doing it. You know, you need to be calling up and down. Who needs tomato? Somebody who needs tomato too will be calling up and down. Who sells tomato? But you don't need all of that. Just go to a market. Walk up to the stand where they sell tomato. Pick it pay it and pay for the tomato and go. So you need to know if the company is publicly listed. Once you are able to identify that it's publicly listed, the next step is to read the annual report of that company. So there's a document that is the annual report. And what do you do with the annual report? 
you only you just need to note major points. Who are those managing this company? Right? What is their profile like? Do they have a good profile? Which other companies are they sitting on their board such that you know you need to make just a, uh, need to make comparison? Are those companies profitable? Was so uh, is the expertise in line with you know what this company does? You know, do they have a diverse board? So what is their profitability over time? So it looks like this company has you know, been profitable over time. So you just need that information. You need to equip yourself with that information. You don't even need to go deeply into the nitty gritty. But we use the annual reports to get information about the company. Even understand what they do. Understand their business model. Understand their competitive advantage and their strategic um, perspectives. Everything is in the annual report. Then once you've done that, you also need to make an independent research on your own. Right? So you need to find out, okay, yeah, I see this product everywhere. But who are their competitors? What makes this product different from other competitors? Right? Would they continue to command that competitive advantage for an extended period of time? You need to sometimes talk to their customers, sometimes talk to their suppliers. That may be a little bit difficult because in this environment, we lack data or we lack that asset. But the step-to-step -step is, I do the annual report, I understand the business first. I look at the macroeconomy, I see where the company ties in. The economy is not good, the economy is not good, but will this company survive even with our economy is not good? Even if the company will not survive, to what extent? Right? So Nestle, for instance, people will buy Milo. Mothers, children will buy Milo for their kids. If they don't buy the tin, they will buy the satchel. Right? So that people will take Nescape. Nescape is like the number one for the mass market. I know the other premium brands, but for the mass market, Nescape is almost everywhere. So once I understand the business, I understand the economy, I see where they, where they stand in terms of relevance, in terms of importance to the economy. Then I look at the business, I look at the industry. Is this industry profitable? Has it been growing? You use data to identify that. Once we understand that this industry is growing, then we need to also drill down. Is this company being managed well? Because sometimes you can have a good industry, and the company is not being managed well. Yes, and so management, a company management has to do with the management, has to do with the staff, has to do with corporate governance, right? So there could be prosperity, but are you, part, are you taking part of that prosperity or are you part of that prosperity? So when we drill down, then we begin to work with the ratios, financial ratios, which is a lot more, you know, in-depth work. So we use certain financial ratios. We need to understand if a company is profitable. Yes, this company is profitable. Does, is it liquid? Does it have enough cash to run a business? Because it can be profitable and not have cash. For instance, if you sell headphones, you bought headphones, Abby. You bought it from whoever produces it. You must have spent. You must have made an outflow, right? Now you have everything. And 1,000 people came to demand. So you sold it to all of them, okay? But all of them did not pay. They all bought it on credit. So in on paper, you're profitable because you bought that, let me say, 500 per unit. You sold that 800 per unit. The customers promised to pay you 800, but they did not give you cash. So while you're profitable because you have made 300, but you've not gotten the cash yet, God forbid, 600 people could die in the process, and you won't get your cash back. So you need to pay for rent. You need to pay salaries of your workers. You need to pay for other costs. So, there's a, I've evaluated their profitability. 
I now want to evaluate if they are making money, if they are generating cash. The next question is, yes, you're generating cash. How indebted are you? Do you have too much debt? Because you can generate cash and nothing goes to the shareholder. Everything could go to those whom you borrowed money from. Do you understand? So I need to also be sure if you're not you know, too indebted. Okay, right? So you need debt sometimes in the cost of running a business, but it should not be too much. Okay, so those are the three core metrics. Three core metrics, profitability, your liquidity, and then your leverage. We call it leverage in finance. So once we've done all of that, then we now value the business. There are, again, there are metrics to do that. But even from simple, so it's an expertise market, even from simple nuances, okay, you know, just a little bit of expertise around understanding how numbers work, you can easily, you know, identify which companies. So that's the process we go through. We look at the industry, we look at the macroeconomic, we look at the industry, we look at the company, and then we make evaluations. And when we do evaluation, we try to estimate the value. If it is, if we believe that the value is X and the, mark, the current value is Y, depending on how significant the, uh, the differential is, if it is plus or minus, we make our call. Sometimes you could do all of that process and be like, no, it's still not a good investment because it has been priced in already. So it's a lot of expertise work, actually. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Indeed, this, this is indeed a masterclass in investment research. Um, there were two things that came up that I was going to ask you. The first is, I, I would like you to talk a little bit about crude, very crude methods of valuations. Maybe things like P-E ratio. How retail investors, I know going into things like uh, the high valuing things like DCF, um, you know, dividend discount and all those things might be a little bit too much. But maybe for the retail yeah. investor, how can they apply PE ratio in determining if something might be a good buy or not? Okay. So first of all, um, the PE ratio is actually the most simplest metrics and it's simple. If a company is trading at X price, right, you want to know if that price is justified based on the profit it is making. So P ratio is simple price divided by earnings. What is the price per unit of earnings that you're making? If a stock is trading at five naira and the earnings per share, the earnings is earnings per share is also called profit. It's just that it's been divided by the shares outstanding to measure profit per unit of shares. So P over E, if the E is 2 and the share price is 10, it means that the market is valuing every unit of shares at 5 is, and market is willing to pay 5 times for every unit, which is simple as 10 divided by 2. Okay? So if it is 10, if, one is, if we have a stock that is 10 and the EPS is 2, and we have another stock that is also 10, but the EPS is 1, it means that for the first stock, the market is willing to pay five times every unit of earnings, every naira it is making. Why for the other one, the market is willing to pay ten times for every one naira that is making. It could be because of different factors. It could be because that of that ten times is a more profitable company, right? It could be because it's been managed well. It could be because it's an industry where growth prospects are high. So if you look at 10 over 2, for instance, 5 times, the question you want to ask is, historically, how many times 
do investors typically pay for every unit of this company historically? You will need some data for that. You could get the data from financial resources, okay? And you could have an idea from other markets, right? If in Ghana or if in India, they, they typically pay seven times for this industry for fast moving consumer goods. And there is similarity in that market in Nigeria. India, they have multiple ethnic groups. Nigeria, multiple ethnic groups. In India, the economy structure is similar to that of Nigeria. It's all classes, both are classified as emerging market. So foreign investors see both economies nearly the same way. Okay. So you may say that, okay, if this stock historically trades at seven times or ten times, and right now it is five times, you computed it to say that it's trading at five times, maybe there could be an upside. You need to first investigate. Now, is it that this company, is it that growth is likely to slow? Mm. Because sometimes when you see that differential, it does not necessarily mean that there's opportunity. It could be that the market expects that the profitability of this company will slow down. You need to first research, investigate, to say, okay, is revenue growth likely to decline for this company? I mean, is revenue likely to decline? Is profitability likely to decline? Is there a new competitor? What is the structure of that industry? Is it as a company or as that industry reached the declining stage or maturity stage? When you've done all of this work, all of these questions, you've asked these questions, and then you realize that nothing has changed, or things are still likely to be better, then maybe there's a mispricing, then you may want to capture the advantage. But unless you've done or asked yourself those questions, you may be very careful. Historically, they pay 10 times. What if historically the company used to command 70% market share? And I'll give you an example of that. Nigerian breweries. There's a company called Nigerian breweries. In between, okay, since they've been in the Nigerian market, it used to be Nigerian breweries Guinness, right? And Nigerian breweries had always been the market leader. It's still the market leader anyways, but it used to command a significant market share. They are the manufacturers of Star, you don't even see Star anymore. They are the manufacturers of anything and the like. But, and they used to cop, they used to make as much as 40 billion in profit. The PE for Nigerian bureaus used to be 30 times, there about 30 times of their earnings because there was that prospect. Then 2017 came, a big competitor came into that market and it changed the dynamics of that market. Yes, and the market share that Nigerian bureaus used to command, it, it went down significantly. So if Nigerian bureaus is not trading at 20 times today, you can't say, ah, Nigerian bureaus used to do 30 times before, now it is 20 times is a buy. No. Because when they were doing 30 times, there was no big competitor. When they were doing 30 times, you didn't have this kind of macroeconomic challenges where, you know, we, we all know what inflation is saying, we all know how exchange rate is bad and all of that. So you need to ask those questions to say, okay, Okay, we can't work with 30 times again. Let's work with 20 times. Or let's work with what it should be now. So once you ask yourself those questions, you, you, you can, you can you know, make your decisions. But the PE, very simple metrics, you can just say, this is earnings. People pay five times. If they move from two to four, then their valuation should move from, let's say, 10 times. Okay, if it is five times, two times five, 10. If that earnings moves to four, it will be four times five, 20. Right. So depending on how earnings move, because earnings, earnings are the driver of valuation. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. That was very, very well explained. 
Um, my next question is, you've talked a lot about data, data, data. A, a lot of data is needed in this analysis and in this decision-making. Can you highlight a few sources where the average retail investor can get some of this data from? We know our market is not very mature with, you know, data. Where would you advise the retail investor to look for some of this data? Okay, so there are some resources that could help. First of all, with the education. I think the education is much more important. And maybe I may talk about that data. But where you can get data, so to be honest with you, those data are not easily accessible, really. But if you're going to trade, if you're going to trade, um, if, if you want to begin trading stocks today, you need to do that using brokers. Mm. Just like the way you need to open a brokering, brokerage account, just like the way you open bank accounts. So it is the brokerage firm that would guide you, that will help you facilitate your trade, that intermediary. So you can always reach out to those people to ask for the data. They, they are like the, as I said, intermediary. They have access to those data. And you can always ask to make your own independent analysis on that. But for the education part, there are resources like ProShare. I know a website that is called ProShare. ProShare helps a lot to bridge that information gap. They provide the data as well. You need to subscribe to their platform at a low cost, I think. And uh, you can have access to data. Niametrics too is another good example. So I know of those two core resources that are very much explanatory that are not too complicated because, you know, retail investors, they are less sophisticated. You can't bore them with glamours and all of that. You need to go straight to the point. You need to, prepare, you need to simplify it for them. Right? So I know of those two resources. But alternatively, to get the raw data, you need to speak with your full quick or your financial advisor. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much, sir. Um, now, now, you work in the industry. You, you have your fingers on the pulse of the markets, uh, so to speak. Um, looking at the Nigerian market at present, where do you think are the broad areas of where opportunities exist in the market today? Um, I'm not asking for like individual stock picks, but at least just point us to broad areas or industries where you feel retail investors may be able to find one or two interesting um, um, bargains or sort of, let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, well... To start with, Nigeria is a very unique country. It's a mix of good and bad, right? So, and, you know, we can complain about um, economy not being good, you know, investment not even yielding well because they, they, they are not translating into value. But then again, um, even in the middle of crisis, you tend to find opportunities. During COVID, some people still made money because there was a problem that people came to solve. Um, there are always opportunities everywhere, to be honest with you. You only need to pick the best company. So, Nigeria is a high population country. You have 200 million people. These people need to eat, right? Consumer goods companies are always full of opportunities. They may not just, so that's the industry. We all know that industry is great. So, it is now going back to which company is capturing that growth, which company is capturing that prosperity. They all capture it differently, depending on how sound the management is. Okay, right. So that is why a company like Nestle would always supersede certain companies. They are still in that industry, right? So, but very recently we've been seeing the rise of technology, how technology has been driving a lot of progress. So, and I think that's where the emerging opportunities are right now. We are talking of data centers, we are talking of telcos, we are talking of fintechs, 
right? So banks could mirror up in text in some way, you know, because it's expected that banks begin to pivot into those spaces. MTN, for instance, is doing so well in the technology space. You need data to do almost everything that you do today. Even this conversation, this we are able to have this conversation because of data, yeah. right? And you can imagine spending close an hour here, spend started, it comes at a cost. So you do almost everything. Even there's, there's, there's an economy called creator economy, where, you know, companies don't even need to do a lot of marketing anymore. You only need to pay one or two influencers to promote their product, right? That's a creator economy. People use TikTok, people use YouTube, people use uh, Twitter to help companies. So the cost that they will pay a burner boy, for instance, to push their product, you see, you don't even see all this project frame anymore. You don't even see all these Montana dancer good at Those things come at a very steep cost. They don't even do that just for brand awareness. You only need to pay one or two people with 10 million followers. I know a Kim Kardashian, right? But you have a sizable number of followers that can help. So they pay you something lower than what they would have paid a bigger star. But for those people that are into that business, they use data. They need to be online. They need to track. So you need. So once that happens, once that industry, that creator economy, once that industry booms, it means a booming revenue for another company. Mm. You get it? Yeah. Industrial too. So there's this popular thing that I say that there are three basic needs of man. Food, clothing, shelter. Any company or any industry that builds a product around that, you're great. So look at shelter, for instance. If you build cement, you're great. If you're selling nails, you're great. If you're selling planks or wood, you're great. Because these are complementary demands. If you sell even water, you know, you're great. It's just that some are more specialized than the other, and some are more dead than the other. If you look at steel, look at iron rods, look at cable, you know, it's still a part of shelter, but it doesn't come straight to you that only cement. No, even um, POP, even POP, right? So those are complementary. Food, for instance, it could be raw food, it could be processed food, any kinds of food. It could be packaged food, it could be fish, it could be meat, it could be rice, as long as it is stamped food. It could even be fast food. So a restaurant business as part of food. And you begin to look at it to say, okay, if this is restaurant business, complementary demand, restaurant business will grow, logistics business will follow. As I said, there are opportunities everywhere. You only need to know who is capturing it well, who is doing it well, or who is the first mover that has, since or that has one golden competitive advantage that others cannot. Nestle has a brand as its competitive advantage, so it will do well. Among the banks, some, it is arguable, this is my opinion anyway, some will say GTD. Banking is banking, but they believe this is more profitable because of a certain advantage. If you go to the telco space, you may pick MTN and say they have a certain advantage, maybe best mover advantage. Maybe they have more infrastructure. You know, maybe they have more quality. Maybe they know this thing better. So once you identify who has more competitive advantage, you can always, you know, put money in them. But there are opportunities everywhere. Wow, thank you very, very much, sir. Um, uh, on your behalf, I'm just going to sound the caveat, and that's just because I know somebody listening might say, ah, I take all what you have said as a buy recommendation. Please, this this is just for education purposes. Um, remember, we said at the beginning of the, or during the course of the show, that um, not every good company, that good companies may not even be a good investment. So please, the fact that we have said that this may be good companies, Please do your due diligence. All right, perfect. Um, 
do, am I speaking for for you, sir, or does that reflect your? Yes, 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 yes. It's not a financial advice. <laughs> not a financial advice. It's just an illustration. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. Now, for the average retail investor listening, we are beginning to bring the issue to a close. How can they improve their practice? What are the mistakes that you've seen retail investors um, commit over the years? And how can they just make little adjustments that can um, cover up for those mistakes? The biggest mistake retail investors make is hurting, not asking enough questions. Not asking enough questions. I need patience. Right? People want quick returns. There are no quick returns. Short-term opportunities exist, yes, but they are not sustainable. You won't find them everywhere. If you capture the short-term opportunity, you may be lucky. So what determines luck and ability is that luck could come once and you capture it and you're fine. It doesn't mean it to be sustainable. So if you, the ability to understand the difference would even help you to make better outcomes or better decisions. So I think many retail investors, because of the size of their investment, because they are putting 1000 if I tell you that I'm going to give it 10% on 1000 you look at me and say, what are you talking about? That's just 100 naira. It doesn't make any sense. But if I told you that 10% on 10 million, that's 1 million naira alone. So the 10% is not the problem. The problem is in the size. So if you need to grow to that, so return investment needs to know that it only goes with time. You need a lot of patience. You need discipline. It's just like you starting a business. See investing and starting your own business. Just that in this case, you're not making any operating decision. Yes, and you want to start selling Nabaya on Instagram. You've already started a company. That's an equity. You already own equity in your own company. Just that in this case, you're managing it. You're taking active investment of business decisions. You're the CEO, if you may call yourself that. And, you know, you're getting everything. It's the same thing as investing in a company doing a buyer. They will be doing everything on your behalf. You only need to invest. If you start a business with 20 million and you invest in a company with 20 million, the difference is in the risk. So if you took all of the risk on your own and you're managing it, there's a potential that you get all of the reward. And there's also the potential that you get all of the failure. But if you invested 20 million in a company, your risks are limited. Your returns may be limited relative to if you based it on your own. So you need that patience. Investment is patience. I'm investing now. Monitor it. Because some people too also make the mistake that ah, I put money in this company in 2005. Today it is worth 10 is on paper. No, it doesn't. That you've invested does not mean you should go and sleep. I invested in, I invest, so it's, we've had cases where you invested in a company. The company has been managed well. The tenure of the CEO expires. A new CEO comes in, makes bad decisions. That is the point where you should withdraw and say, okay, this company is not managed. It's not being managed well. So if you wouldn't know unless you were following that company, unless you were monitoring the activities because it's your investment. So you don't put money and go and sleep and say they will do well. No, no, it doesn't work that way. So you monitor. Look at Nigerian Bureau's now. The point where a new competitor came in, you could reevaluate to say, okay, would this competitor smash my current company? Ah, it looks like the return I anticipated for them may no longer hold because of this new competitor. So let me just exit and seek new opportunities. So retail investors need patience and let them understand that investing may, investing will make them rich and it will also not make them rich. It will make you rich if you have the patience. 
But it will not make you rich because you put 1,000 and it becomes 1 million overnight. No, no, no. You need an income, a steady source of income, right, to make an investment. In fact, the investment shouldn't even be your source of income, really. It should just be there for certain objectives. I want my capital to grow. I want my wealth to grow. But maybe when I retire or maybe when I stop working or maybe when this flu, when this income stops running, maybe due to old age or maybe due to incapacitation, I can rely on that investment, but it shouldn't be my primary source of income, right? So once investors understand these nuances and ask questions, where is the returns coming from? If I invest in a company, how do they, how do I deliver, how do I get returns? It's simple. I'm investing in a company, the company is selling products, it's making revenue, it has paid its salaries to the workers, it has paid its cost of sales, it has generated profit. From the profit, they will pay dividends. That is a way of earning. Because they are making profit, and because there's expectation that this company will run, so many people also want to tap into that profit. So therefore, they keep buying the shares of that company that will drive the prices up. Banking on the profitability. If the value goes up, I bought at 10, the value has gone to 15, that's also another way to make money, right? So in that way, if I lend to, if banks lend to companies, the companies use that money to expand capacity, to build more outlets. UK Public builds more outlets. Coastal will build more outlets. They will employ people there. They will make money there. The increased revenue should pay the debt that they have incurred, provided that the money they make is able to cover that debt. Do you understand? And banks will collect the money back. And the banks will pay those that have given them money as deposit. So you can trace if I build a house, I will rent it out. The tenant will pay rent. That is an inflow. If anyone borrowed me money to build the house, from the rent that I earned, I can always pay people that have given me the money. And if I was more funded it all myself, I make all of my money from my investment. So there's always that. But if you put money in MMM or in a Ponzi, you cannot identify where the money is coming from. Because I don't believe in free lunch, and I don't even I don't even believe in I don't even believe in quick fast money. There's no fast quick money. Short term opportunities will come, yes, but it is not it's not it's rare. It doesn't happen every day. What works is there must be a value created before money comes in. Sweat must drop before money comes in. It's an inflow and outflow. There must always be a debit credit. Think about it from debit credit. Right? Somebody wants to give me money, there must be a debit. Okay, so only God gives you free lunch. <laughs> so that's it. Patience, due diligence, ask questions, be curious, be curious, ask questions, be patient. This investment will deliver, just be patient. Right? And don't see it as your primary source of income. No. Go and work, build your skills, develop your capacity and income from your work. It is the excess that you make from your income that you invest. And always have a long-term horizon. Imagine that you are starting a business today. You, you want to start a fashion designing business today. You just bought machine, and by the end of the year, the person who gave you money said, I need to see returns. It doesn't work that way. So you too will not like it that way. So why not see companies that way? Why not see investment that way? Or you get back to a child today, you paid school fees today, and by the time you finish secondary school, you're already expecting the child to be bringing money back home. No, you wait for a while. You need to go to the university. Even some parents today, 
still help their kids even after investing. That okay, hopefully things will still get better. It's not that if you don't have the potential, it's just that the opportunities have not come. So just when you begin to think about it that way, then you understand how successful people, you know, make it with investment. There is no better place for us to leave the discussion tonight than where you have put it. Um, I really, really appreciate all the truths that you have shared with us. And I believe the retail investor listing um, has been made better as a reason of um, your your submission today. We, we really appreciate it. Um, should anybody listening want to get in touch with you? Of course, anyone who wants to make investment and all and may need one or two uh, one or two guides on how to go about it. Uh, we, I can always, I can always help people because it is very important for people to participate in the market. I am a big advocate of people participating in the financial market because it helps us all. Perfect. So, what would be the best way for people to get in touch? Should they just want to glean one or two advice? Um, okay, LinkedIn. I'm always accessible on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Perfect. All right. So you, you've heard it from the man himself. You know, just to get in touch for one advice or the other or one link or the other, you can always reach him on LinkedIn and just search for uh, Mr. Abdurraouf Aremubilu and send him a DM. He'll be happy to give advice as necessary. It's a pleasure having this chat with you tonight, sir. Hopefully, we can bring you back and have much more in-depth um, conversations that will make justice to your expertise, if you don't mind, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I also enjoyed the session. And well done. I wish everyone all investing uh, a very good investing experience. Right? Investing is actually very fun, interesting, and as I said, it can make you rich and it may not make you rich, depending on how you are doing. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir.